Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Howdy, time travellers. Drop everything and find yourself a comfy chair because your most pressing job for the next 45 minutes or so is to just kick back and listen to the future that is coming at you in the form of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here, with crystal ball tucked under his arm like a football, is our soothsayer of the digital age. It's Matthew Dickerson. How are you, Matt? Well, I've got an interesting story this week, James. I wonder how it is for comedians when they go out to a birthday party, a friend's birthday party, and they go out and they're a comedian. So everyone comes up and says, oh, g'day, John, I know you're a comedian. I've got this great joke for you. Yeah, right, can I test it out on you? That's right, they must get sick of it. Or (laughs) I've got a great joke for you to use in your next routine. I mean, I know doctors get it all the time. Yeah. While we're sitting here at the dinner table having a lovely meal at this function, I'll just roll up my my, my sleeve here and show you my my arm. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And I don't, to the same extent, but I get a little bit of that with Tech Talk. I go out to functions and people say, oh, I've got this great story for you and James to talk about on Tech Talk. And because we're always trying to talk about things that are in the future, most of the time people tell me about things that I go, oh, yeah, go back and listen to episode 72. Yeah, we that's did right. Yeah, we've done that. Yeah, that's right. I don't quite know exactly <laughs> the topics on each number, but anyway, it sounds impressive at the time. So I've normally got that pretty well covered. Or the ideas are something that I just can't see being of any relevance. But I was at a function this week. And someone said to me, oh, I've been wanting to talk to you about an idea. So, okay, same sort of thing. Here we go. This is just another one of those yeah, random okay. ideas. Yeah. Sit now, down. That's right. yourself in. This particular person has a problem with her kids getting them to do the vacuuming in, in their house. And I can absolutely empathise with yep. that. <laughs> having yep. four kids, bring them up, trying Name to do the housework. Having trouble getting the kids to do it. Now, she had a brilliant idea. She said, maybe if we could somehow turn the vacuuming into some sort of gamification and there's lots of people who talk about gamifying things but I thought this wouldn't be too hard you get some pretty advanced vacuum cleaners out there at yeah, the moment sure. so imagine just a vacuum cleaner that monitored how much dust that was being brought in so the more dust that you got or the more dust per minute suddenly you could level up to a new level hey <laughs> mum I've just done that bit of vacuum in that room and I got to level 7 on that room well done go I'd and see if you can do another to, room to move that furniture to get at the um, the stuff that's been there for ages I thought it'd be like a gold mine wouldn't it you <laughs> move that furniture out of the road and underneath there you're really sucking up those points so I actually thought you know what that's not such a bad idea I don't know anyone that's doing it I did do a quick search and it see if anyone's gamified vacuuming I haven't been able to find anyone but, but there's an opening there there is an opening out there for for the Dysons of the world out there maybe a way to get kids to do vacuuming awesome. what a breakthrough or you get a whole lot of 30 year old males doing it as well, <laughs> well yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I was being generous to the, the 30 year old males out there okay let's tear the sticky tape off the first story for today the days of the news anchor are numbered Boomers and Gen Xers alike will remember fondly trusted names like Roger Clemson, James Dibble, Ian Ross, Ross Simons and Brian Henderson, to name just a few. But not to leave the ladies out, there's an Indira Naidu, Gina Boone, uh, Geraldine Duke, uh, Jennifer Kitan, of course, Sandra Sully, just, just to name a few there. Google a list of Aussie newsreaders and there's a long list of names that we've tuned into night after night to get our take on the world. Newsreaders have power. They're the people whom we invest our trust. But that may change completely if a trend throughout Asia takes hold as AI newsreaders take place at the news desk. 
Matt, I'd like to say this shouldn't really matter, but I feel like uh, there's a heavy sense of gravity about this. AI newsreaders. I gave my daughter advice when she wanted to know what to do when she finished school and she was looking at a few different careers and she looked at media, studying media, and I said, well, we're always going to need yeah, good journalists. Need journalists. Yep. So we're always going to need people out there gathering the news stories and going out there and telling people what's going on in the world. So she did media and she's working for a, a news channel and she's presenting, not news presenter, but out there in the field doing her journalism. I'm thinking, oh no, is, is her career limited? Is this is AI taking <laughs> and over? And the ceiling. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And this is absolutely fascinating. At the moment, we're seeing real news readers read the news with an avatar as the news reader. And you kind of think, well, what's the point in that? Mm. And it gives some flexibility to the newsreaders because if you're a newsreader and someone says, what are you doing this afternoon? You want to go to the gym? Sorry, my job kind of entails me being at that exact point <laughs> in the studio yeah. at that time every it's night. It's a lock-in, yeah. It is a lock-in, that's right. There's not a lot of flexibility there. But they've been talking about some of these in some of the Asian countries where they've been using avatars. The newsreaders have been able to do it from home. They've been able to do it from wherever they might be, do it from another studio. Mm. As long as they've got good voice connections or a good microphone and good connections there, then they can do it with an avatar. Now, again, you think, well, why would you want to do that? Well, then they can change the avatar perhaps to suit different parts of the country where you might have someone that needs to be presented differently. So you think, well, that's not a real breakthrough, but it is the thin edge of the wedge, and I think that's mm. where we're really going here. It doesn't take a major leap to say, well, if you've got an avatar with a real person reading it, how long before that becomes an AI voice? Yeah, sorry. So just to clarify, these are just avatars with a human reading and the avatar takes the place of the human's image. There's a little bit of both. The, 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 one, the, the latest one in particular in Indonesia is a, a newsreader called Fahadi Indi and she's been turned into an avatar, if you like, on TV1. But... That's not the only one. There's some newsreaders in China and India that are actually full AI. So yeah, the, the okay. avatar and the voice are both AI. Now, at this stage, they're still having humans do the stories, but mm. it doesn't take another giant leap of the imagination to say the yeah. news gathering by AI, the actual writing of the script by AI for an AI avatar to read it with an AI voice Where's the human involved there at all? And where's my daughter's job in the future? <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, look, I read out some newsreaders' names from the past there, and it was kind of nostalgic for me. Mm. You know, even as a young fella, Dad would have the news on, and I would just you know, sort of be floating through the lounge room at the time. But these people became the trusted identity. They were the be-all and end-all. They were in your lounge room every night, weren't they? And they were delivering, well, what I, we assumed was the truth. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and now this, this is, I don't know, I, I just don't know how I feel about it. Well, you're not alone because in Australia, there's about 69% of people have expressed concern about AI technology in news reading in particular. In Japan, for example, only 23% of people are concerned about it. So mm. in some of these Asian countries, it's happening right now. In Indonesia, Well, I guess that's China. good news for Sandra Sully and Peter Overton and their, and their kin. But, uh, for the moment, yeah. Yeah, for right. the moment. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, so, and again, when you talk to some Australian companies, ABC, for example, said that they've got no definite plans to use AI for newsreaders, either avatars or full-blown AI in the future. The Nine Network said that they're ruling out AI for news bulletins, but they're looking at whether they use some AI to create some additional content like a sports highlights package, for example. So not yeah. the news, the, the really important stuff, what's happening in the world today, but a bit of a summary of what happened in the sport last week. Here you go, and there's a, a 
avatar that will have compiled information throughout the week and here it is. And that's the crack in the door. They've got the Mm. foot in the door there and then what next? Yeah, exactly right. So it's interesting. I think one advantage is that, and this is one of the things that they talk about, is that you can cater to diverse cultural and linguistic needs. So, for example, you could have an AI AI presenter that you would select on your remote, I want this in English or in Chinese or whatever language it might be. So there might be several languages for you to choose from. So that seems like a pretty good advantage because I don't know our newsreaders that present the news simultaneously in different (laughs) languages. So you might see some advantage for that. (laughs) And and maybe people would be comfortable if... The native language of whatever country it was was presented by the real newsreader. Other languages then were presented by an avatar in a different language. But yeah, it's the thin edge of the wedge. It's a scary idea to see what we'll have in five years' time, ten years' time, to see mm. what our news looks like. And of course, the point I think you're making there too is that trusted news source. Mm. What happens with our trust in an avatar? What happens with misinformation? What happens with some news outlet that decides that they'd like to present a slightly different version of the news? Well, news has become quite tribal. It's changed its face over the last, well, 10 years, even 15 years uh, in a big way. It's become quite tribal, unfortunately. Um, And the other thing is that a lot of young people um, are not even accessing the news in that way anyway. They're just going straight through um, the social media and whatnot. That's right. So if it's a deep fake on the nightly news in your lounge room or a deep fake on social media, it's still going to be presenting misinformation. Mm. So how do you know what's real and what's not out there? That's the really tricky one. Yeah. The avocado used to be such a very humble fruit. In the 70s and 80s, it was very much a seasonal thing, bought only from a greengrocer with a bit of flair. And only people who'd spent a significant time living in or around Queensland ever even heard of avocados. Then in the 90s arrived and the hipster cafe culture arrived and in the big cities, smashed avo on toast to become a staple almost overnight. By the year 2000, after Mexican food had been discovered hiding deep in a western suburb, avocado had become a commodity that could sway economies. Avocado has replaced water as a basic essential for life. But cutting, coring and scooping millions of avocados at a time is impractical at a human level. So Matt, in 2023, it's no surprise that there is now a robot that can churn out guacamole by the megalitre. By the mega. So get a, get a handle on this. Now, we don't have any stores in Australia, so I'm not even sure, even sure how to pronounce it. Chipotle? Yeah, Chipotle, yeah, yeah. Chipotle, right. It's a type of sauce, I regard, but um, I think it's a, a chain store. It's a chain, it? yeah. They've got, yeah. they've got a number of stores in the US and Canada and Europe. They process, so you talk about avocados being popular these days, they process four and a half million cases of avocados each year, 45 million kilograms. That's enough uh, guacamole to drown in, isn't it? Well, look, and I am guilty. I do like my smashed avo (laughs) and egg if I go to a cafe. Yeah, for sure. And I know... There's a reason why it became popular. Well, it's nice. That's right. And it actually seems vaguely healthy there somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah. Depends what you add on on top, I suppose. And if you have an avocado farm, surely you're sitting on a gold mine. (laughs) Absolutely right. I think it was Bernard Salt, wasn't it, the demographer, who started to go ahead with the whole smashed avo and comparing it to the inner Sydney um, <laughs> hippie, hippie types as you described them. Yeah, look, don't quote me on all that uh, history that I've given you in that <laughs> intro, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the history according to James. So anyway, avocados are a bit of a pain. I, I do eat avocados and they are a bit of mm. a pain. You've got to slice them around and then you've got to hit the knife in hard enough to get it into the seed. An avocado thumb is a real thing where people hit the knife too hard and, and slice their thumb. You slip off there or, and you don't yep. want to go soft because then it will slip off. So you've yeah. got to go hard enough. But, but uh, is there anything 
anything equal to the joy of a beautifully ripe, not overripe, not underripe avocado. <laughs> you mean just ripe? <laughs> just ripe. It's just perfect. And you get one and you go, yeah. That's but. right. And then you, you pop the <laughs> seed out nicely. <laughs> but that's okay for you and I just having our one little avocado or smashing up the yeah, one sure. little avo. But when you're someone like Chipotle processing 45 million kilograms, there's a lot of staff time taken up. Yeah. They have people in many of their stores that that's their job. It sounds like a pretty exciting job, doesn't it? You turn to work and you start popping out those Goodness avocados me. to make all your It sounds like, um, who was it, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and his dad used to screw on the lids of the toothpaste tubes? <laughs> that's akin to that, yeah. That's right. So now they've come up with Autocardo. Autocardo will process avocados, not smash them. It'll just get them to the state ready. So basically get rid of the skin, get rid of the seed. And there's some processing by some various devices out there for different fruits that you can think, yeah, that makes sense. That's easy to do. I can see how that works. But avocados, you can imagine, it's not the easiest thing to come up with a machine to get the avocado out of. So this particular machine by a company called VBU is on trial now in Irvine, California at one of the Chipotle stores. And so far... Absolutely fantastic. It's yeah, doing right. a fantastic job, halving the time. You've got a whole bunch of avocado there ready to go and make the guacamole. Now, it probably doesn't take a genius to say the next step is the machine that adds the next step to smash them all up, add in a bit of lemon and whatever else you want to put in your special version the of guacamole. Next guac. thing you go, you've got um, avocado on toast or whatever. Yeah, that's right. From a vending machine. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so that's the, the process of going through at this stage. But you load up in this particular machine. 11 kilograms of avocados, and then sit back and let it do its magic. Yeah, right. And Chipotle have had a bit of a reputation for driving innovation, and a lot of it obviously is about staff time, staff costs, and labour shortages at the moment. So even though we worry about staff job losses and Mm. people not having jobs in the future, for some companies and chains like this, they just can't get the number of staff they need, so they just can't serve the number of customers. Mm. So looking for processes to make it better is obviously important, but they came up, Chipotle came up with the AI-driven Pepper chatbot, and that was basically a way to facilitate orders through social media platforms like Facebook Messenger, for example. So they've been quite innovative. Again, they're touting this as a labour shortage-solving device. Mm. It sounds to me like a cost-saving device, but Sounds like Skynet taking over the world. It it does a bit, doesn't it? Either way, I just think the innovation in having something, because imagine you say to an inventor, I want to peel and de-seed this avocado. And they go, wow, that's a pretty hard problem to do that. And avocados are pretty soft. You can't grab them tightly and start to go for it. So to do all that with a machine, I haven't seen a video of Autocardo at work yet. And maybe they're keeping that a little bit secret because they don't want someone to steal the idea. But I'm keen to see a video of Autocardo. It's only a matter of time. And it's only a matter of time before there's a robot for absolutely everything. (laughs) One robot to do it all or different robots? (laughs) No, different robots. Right. Yeah. wondered about heirlooms and their actual value. Surely the true value of an heirloom is in the story that accompanies it. We sometimes hear stories about priceless items bought for a song at an op shop. How many trinkets in how many second-hand stores have awesome stories hiding behind the $3 price tag? If only you knew the family from whence it came. How many heirlooms have been lost to kitsch? Well, if you're a fan of Antiques Roadshow, and you have a few knickknacks that are special to your family, there are now apps designed specifically to maintain the flame of the family torch. Matt, there's big market for protecting family heirlooms. I love that this is a new class 
of apps. The whole idea that we've got apps, I mean, over a million apps are available on either the Google Play Store or yeah, Apple. Yeah, yeah, And you think, surely there's an app for everything. In fact, when you think about doing something, you go, no, I'll just go and check on the app store because yep. surely there's an app for that. And this is a whole new class of apps. And as with everything, necessity is the mother of invention. So one particular lady was worried about losing some of that history with some mm. of the items that her parents had. So she was uh, in her 60s and her parents were obviously 20 or 30 years older than that, so fairly elderly. Didn't want to lose those stories. And sometimes you'll find an old photo and you think, oh, I wonder who that was. And you turn it over. You go, oh, look, that's my great-great-grandfather there. Yeah. And they're sitting out on, oh, that's a paddock there, but now it's a shopping centre. So you get some of those stories by some writing on the back of it or some old box with some trinkets in there and you pull it out and you find some old handwriting that I always struggle to read. The <laughs> cursive writing, yeah, from, the cursive writing. <laughs> from early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even mum, when she'd send me letters when I was at university, I'd get them out and I would struggle to read them. It was just because mum would write this beautiful old cursive handwriting. Yeah. So now there are three, so this whole class of apps, there are three apps that have come out that are designed to help protect that family history. The three apps, Thingology is one. What else would you Thingology. call it? that? <laughs> yeah. Sortly is another. And Elephant Tracks is another. And they've got a few things that they try and do. The first thing is you take a photo of it and you put a bit of the story behind it. So at least anyone else that sees that can find that and they can search for it via the picture and find about it, the information about it. Then you can start to do some collaboration. So you can share that with your siblings, with your children, family yeah, members, right. so they can share it and they can add to that story a little bit. So they can add that, oh, yes, I remember that mum used to do that, but then mum used to always use that particular pasta maker that we had that was very special to the family to make pasta for some old guy down the road who used to come and visit us once a month or whatever. You can keep adding to the story. Yeah, right. Then most importantly, and I think this is the critical part and the success of these apps, is that you can actually say, who you'd like to have this particular <laughs> item when you pass away. Yeah, so yeah okay. <laughs> you've got the will there. Now, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know which one wins, How but the, the will versus the sortly, or you can imagine in the courtroom, well, in Thingology, Your Honour, it was said <laughs> that I got this particular item, but the will said this, so I don't know who's going to well, win I can that. even imagine there'd be some conflict over the story that went with some of these things, because I know that we've sat across the Christmas table in you know, recent years and had arguments about how we've remembered stories. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Memories of People flexible, isn't it? stories very, very differently. <laughs> that's right, they do. So, and I suppose this is one way to maybe put it to bed, which takes away a lot of that fun around the, the Christmas table when you're saying, oh, look, I remember it like this, and someone else says, oh, I remember it like that. If you had your app that you pulled out and said, well, actually, my grandfather, who you're talking about, he said that this is what happened, and then that takes away all the fun of the debate because you've got the real version of it there yeah. then. so, But again, I think you're right. It, it does probably solve some of those problems. But I love the idea that we are using apps, modern technology, to look at things that are very old, ancient heirlooms. And so then you start to think about, well, is this of any relevance? Do enough people have smartphones? In fact, enough people that are a bit older have smartphones to do this. But in the latest research, and from America this was, those aged 50 to 64, so you're getting up there with putting some of this information in, 97% of those have a smartphone. And then, yeah, right. And even Sorry. the people over 65, 80% of them have smartphones. Yeah. Yeah, so so I, was, I was only going to say that, and it's that sort of age group are probably going to be the ones that are, care the most because correct. they are starting to recognise mortality there and things aren't um, forever. So if you don't write the story down, it's lost. Yeah, that's right. So I think this is a great way to keep it going and then keep it going for, well, hopefully ever more, whatever thingology, sortly and elephant tracks and there, what other, other apps come out after those are still in existence. Yeah. 
Now, a bit of celebrity status can be quite flattering. It's nice to be recognised sometimes, but not usually when you're travelling through immigration. If customs recognise you, then you're probably bound for the back room and a quiet chat, dare I say. But that's all going to change when Eurostar, the international rail service that connects the UK to, the, to Europe, moves its immigration system to facial verification in a bid to decrease long queues and congestion. Being recognised by customs won't be such a bad thing after all, Matt. I actually had that happen to me, recognised at customs. Oh, no. In LA. <laughs> but I was in LA. In LA. Oh, you must be Matt Dickerson from Matt Dis- uh, Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Is that right? <laughs> Almost that. They okay. said, come with me, sir. And they confused me with a bra boy who had been on a bit of a oh, crime spree with right. some drug trades okay. in the recent time. So they wanted to quiz me at length about where I'd been and my tats. movements. And, yeah, that's right. and I said, look on the back of my neck. I don't have bra boys <laughs> written there. It's all okay. But it was, it was an interesting experience because they're all very friendly when they're taking you away to interrogate you as a drug dealer. But then? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it didn't get too bad because they realized fairly quickly and my travel documents all worked out and I apparently they'd been in Hawaii recently and they'd been right. dealing some drugs and I hadn't been so it all seemed okay in the and end. And the but guy with the rubber glove backed off. <laughs> That's right, yeah, thankfully. <laughs> but it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting experience when they do recognise you and come with us. Uh, you know, oh, I feel so special now but not for long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is actually a post-Brexit problem. You're a star yeah. and you're talking about going between London and, and across to France, for example. Then you've got a little problem now where they want to Double check your. Well, it used to be very fluid because they were all part of the, the European Union. That's Union. right. Yeah, yeah. So it's all one big happy place. So it's all travel. But now, not anymore. Brexit, you don't like us anymore. So we better make sure you say you are, you are who you say you are. Better make sure we check all your documents. It got to the point where Eurostar was leaving hundreds of seats vacant on their trains traveling to and from London because they just couldn't check the people quick enough. It was delaying the trains. Right. So what a what a tragedy that you've got this train traveling with lots of vacant seats. People wanted to be on them, but they couldn't get them on there wow. fast enough. So they had to come up with some sort of solution. The solution at this star, stage is a thing called Smart Check, where if you're prepared to do these couple of things, first one is get the app, so that's not too bad a thing, then take a photo of yourself with the app, app and then go and put all your identifying documents in the app. Yeah. That's where people get, pause a little bit and go, yeah, oh, really? I'm very nervous sure? about this. If you do all that, though, then when you get your ticket, you can link your ticket to your ID in this particular app. And then when you turn up, facial recognition, stand in front of the camera, everything's okay, on you go, all very quick, all very painless. They're hoping enough people will do that to then make it seamless and faster so the people who don't want to do that can still go to the manual check and the queues mm. won't be too long there. It's obviously something that's happened a little bit. Air- airlines and some airports globally did start to trial some of this. I do remember there were some things where they were trying to do it, but COVID-19 came along and then that put a stop to lots of things. And they'll probably ramp it up again. But I don't think it's that far away that we've got a passport and a, a process we go through now when we go through immigration. But I, I can't see that far away that you'll have some process where it'll just be facial recognition and on you go, have a nice day, sir. And if something isn't quite right or it doesn't recognise you, then go to the manual queue. But I just think that's where we're going to go. It's, it's getting better and better facial recognition technology. Streamlining. Hmm. Website creation has been a very lucrative industry for creative types with a bit of tech know-how. The difference between getting millions of hits and being a big old miss can make or break an organisation. 
It's a talented person who can assemble a quality website for sure. But web designers beware. Sadly, the list of things that AI cannot do just got one spot smaller, Matt. All that time I spent learning HTML all those years ago, you had to be able to write HTML code to have a decent website. As more and more graphical tools came along, I felt those skills being less and less important. Mm. And now it's at the point where with Wix, and I had a look at it, it's pretty impressive. You go along, you answer a few questions, and then it creates a website, including things like logos, including the text really? that's relevant to that company. It just yeah. it seemed pretty impressive. And, and I'm going, I just answered a few questions. How does it know so much? So it's, it is quite impressive. Obviously, it's relying on information that's available on the net. It's relying on logos, on graphics, on lots of information it can scour from the web. But it does that, and it does that fairly well. So it used to be this process with templates. And I've had people before that have shown me websites they've created with various templates, and they look a bit same old, same old when they've used templates to create their website, but it's not too bad. It's better than nothing. Mm. If you're a small business out there and you're trying to make do with your limited skills across your staff and a small number of staff, well, oh, that'll do. We'll get some sort of website up there. Mm. Again, it does look like you can say, oh, yep, they use template number 17 for that website. But this is even better than that. It's not using a template that you choose. It's just giving information or, or taking information from you with some basic questions and then I'm sure it's got a bunch of templates behind the scenes, but you can't see those. It just creates a website from all of that. Now, it does create some issues, obviously. What's the copyright status of chat GPT generated text? So oh. when, when it creates the text on that website that it's scoured from the web, who owns the copyright on that? Yeah, if someone says, right. hold on, you've used some text of my website for that website of yours. I don't like that. I want to sue you. Don't sue me. Sue ChatGPT. So that's one yeah. issue. How do you take and, responsibility? Well, and that's the second part. Who is responsible for that AI-generated content? So you have this website. It's created all this text and all this information. That's lovely. And you have a quick cursory glance at it. It looks okay. But it's got some information in it that's not absolutely correct. Like and, a phone number or an email address. <laughs> well, maybe that. But <laughs> someone makes a decision based on the information on that website and then it doesn't work out so well for them and they say, well, hold on. On your website, you had that information. Mm. Oh, yeah, but ChatGPT generated that for me. Well, who's responsible? Are you responsible? Is Wix responsible? Is ChatGPT responsible? There'll be solicitors pointing at everyone else. There'll be this big circle of people pointing at the next person in the line. But I assume, okay, so Wix is... Um, as one generator, it won't be long before there's multiple, and then we've got to sort of vouch for the security and the validity of all those different yeah, that's uh, right. generators. And one of the things that Wix is saying at the moment is that other companies like WordPress and Squarespace who do use templates to create websites, they're saying this solution is much better. But obviously, companies like WordPress and Squarespace are going to be out there saying, well, we better come up with our own AI tool as well because we can't have the competition getting ahead of it. So you've got all these different sites all being generated by AI at some point in the near future and then something goes wrong and everyone wants to look the other way or shuffles their feet nervously hoping that you're pointing the finger at someone else. Matt, I fear I'm becoming an AI cynic. Um, I'm, I'm all for healthy scepticism, but I just, I'm just i disappearing down a rabbit hole. I've got a, <laughs> I fear. Here we go. It's Web designed by AI. Now, we talked about the value of family heirlooms earlier. Is it a stretch to call a first edition iPhone a family heirloom, though? Um, it has been 16 years. Matt, what was the first edition, oh, well, sorry, what is the, the first edition iPhone worth today? Well, if you happen to have one, 
In its box. In its box. In pristine condition. Completely, yeah, untampered with. That's right. In a sealed box, you might get, you know, vaguely 190000 US for it. That's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I must admit, I've got a good friend of mine, actually, who collects comics. And you go into his comic room at his house, and there's all these boxes of comics, and they're all labelled meticulously, and it's a beautiful mm-hmm. display. And I say, oh, I'm a bit of a phantom fan. I'll get out a phantom. Don't, Don't touch it. Don't you dare touch it. <laughs> yeah, it's all still in its plastic What's envelope? the point of it then? What, what have you got these comics for? Don't yeah. you enjoy No, no, I collect comics. Just likes looking at the cover. Oh, and I know he does buy two versions of some comics okay. so he can keep one tucked away and one that he can read. But I kind of go, the joy in a comic is the reading of the comic and get it out, read it, and then put it back in and keep it nice. Mm. But that's apparently no. not what you do. <laughs> it's the same with people that collect action figures. They have that yeah. beautiful action figure. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't sit an action figure in the box. Any Even if joy. I bought two, if I bought one to play with, then the other would go, well, they could play with each other, couldn't they? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. If you've got out. a toy, it's got to be unboxed. Surely. And I'd be the same with an iPhone. An iPhone in 2007, when the iPhones first came out, this is the 4-gig iPhone, so mm. the lowest spec first model iPhone, 4-gig model, US $599. So we're going back 16 years, $599 is a reasonable sum. And I could not. I could not have bought that and left it in its box. <laughs> I, even if I wanted to collect it and think... Even if you had three of them. That's right. <laughs> if I thought 16 years later, maybe I could do something. It just seems like such a waste. I've got all this technology sitting there. But someone much smarter than me said, yep. I'm going to hold on to that for, you know, maybe 16 years. Someone much more disciplined. <laughs> disciplined, that's right. And so then after all those years, they said, US $190,000 at auction. Even the auction house, LCG Auctions was the place, they thought it would be maybe 50 grand at tops. They thought you could get up to 100 grand for this. And that's what they told the seller. And he went, oh, okay, yeah, I could live with 50 to 100 grand. Put on well, eBay and see what I get. <laughs> that's right. 28 bids for this particular item. And as I said, US $190,000. I mean, Steve go. Jobs stuff in general goes well. There was a, a poem, I remember. Jobs wrote a poem in high school, and that was sold for some ridiculous sum of money. College photos, a 1978 business card from Steve Jobs. So it seems like anything Steve Jobs has got or touched mm. or been involved with is worth a bit of money. But the first iPhone, and it wasn't very popular, actually. It, it, they discontinued it after two months because they had an 8-gig model, which was $100 dearer, and everyone went for the 8-gig model. No yeah, one was buying the 4-gig model. So the guy might have got it cheap. He mightn't have paid five ninety nine for it because it might have been someone had one stuck on the shelf and went, oh, I can't get rid of this thing because everyone's the 8-gig model. Oh, mate, I'll give you 400 bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. might have, he might have got a bargain. Little did he know or the, the person selling it know that maybe that bargain was going to be worth well, a lot. It might be interesting, uh, interesting just to map um, how much it's worth every 12 months to see <laughs> how that increases. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. You'd probably have to go to auction though because the only way you find out what something's worth is what yeah, someone's prepared to pay for it because yeah. I wouldn't pay $190,000 no, 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 for no, a 16-year-old no. iPhone. Something 4 gig. <laughs> That's right, 4 gig. <laughs> what? <laughs> The movie industry is a major cultural and economic powerhouse, and Hollywood is the mecca to it all. But AI is set to tumble the walls if allowed to go unchecked. Writers have gone on strike seeking protection for their skills. For movie executives, AI has the potential to cut costs and build profits dramatically. And for those focused less on the art and more on the bottom line, well, it's going to take some convincing to steer away from AI. Matt, how's this hot mess panning out in Tinseltown now? Well, I sometimes, rarely, but sometimes talk about a show on TV that I think is worth watching. 
and Black Mirror is a show. It's a bit like the old Twilight Zone, the Twilight yeah, Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the classic music that everyone knows when they hear that that da, 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 straight away they know what you're talking yeah. about. And Black Mirror is, in my opinion, I'm sure the critics will disagree with me, but in my opinion, Black Mirror is a little bit like the Twilight Zone. They just take an interesting concept and they go to the nth degree with that concept. Yeah, and then twist it at the end. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, and the ones I like in particular, I like the Phantom. Not Superman, because the Phantom is possible. It's, yeah, it's okay. Unlikely, rare, but it's possible for the Phantom to exist. Superman, no, I don't think there's someone flying around in their underpants out there. <laughs> and one of the things I like about some of the Black Mirror episodes is they are possible. Some of them are ridiculous, but some of them are possible. One of them that's on the absolute edge of possibility is an episode called Joan is Awful. Actually, it's the, the um, I think, the first episode of season six. And in that particular show, it talks about a, a random person, Joan Tate. She's got a normal day. She just goes about her day. She has the job of firing an employee, which is a pretty unpleasant scenario. She sits down with her therapist and goes through and talks about her feelings for her fiancé and her feelings for her ex. She catches up with, with her ex that night just for a, a quick drink and they have a quick little awkward kiss and then, no, 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 I'm, I'm engaged. And she goes home and her and her fiancé sit on the couch and they flick on Streamberry which the logo has the same colouring and the same sound effects as Netflix, so it's obviously <laughs> a, a, a Netflix version. But they sit down and then suddenly Joan Tate watches a famous actress play out her day while her and her fiancé are sitting there watching and she's going, if this is going to plan, oh no, that awkward kiss with my ex-boyfriend is going to be on screen anytime soon. And obviously the fiancé sits there and watches the show and goes, hold on, is this kind of based on your day-to-day? And so, as it turns out, when you go further through the show, and I don't want to give away the ending, but I think I'm going to, <laughs> so spoiler alert <laughs> spoiler for anyone. Alert. <laughs> but essentially, the whole concept here is that they've digitally licensed Joan Tate's day because when she accepted Streamberry's terms and conditions, she went, okay, but in the terms and conditions, as she finds out when she talks to her solicitor, it said, we own your digital life. We can replicate your life in digital oh, version wow. if we want to do that. And then the famous Imagine actress him. playing her yeah. is actually in the same scenario. She goes to her sister and goes, I don't really want me to be destroying someone's life and I don't really like some of the actions that are happening here, so I want to stop that. And they said, sorry, you signed an agreement and that's it. We own your digital likeness forevermore. So we can keep using your digital likeness in this. And so there's this powerful quantum computer that's <laughs> recreating people's days <laughs> to customise content just for you. So it, it goes on through this whole process. And again, I won't give away the exact ending, but when you look at that and then you look at what's happening in Hollywood at the moment, gee, mm. it looks very similar. Now, Black Mirror, this particular episode was written before the current Hollywood strike. So it was written, the whole thing was done before that. So it was a bit of a, a Nostradamus moment for Black Mirror. But essentially, with some of the problems you've got with Hollywood at the moment, it started off with a writer's strike because the writers said, well, hold on, you're using AI to write some of the shows in the same style mm. as those shows. That doesn't look good for our future employment and we don't think it's great for creativity in general. Well, if anyone's job's at threat, it's it, going to be the writers. You think it? so? And the actors kept going along doing their job because they went, it doesn't affect us mm. because those writers, well, whatever, we just take scripts. But now the actors are going, oh, actually avatars could be used yeah. and you want to license my likeness i'm a famous actor or actress and you want to like uh, digitally take that and use that in films going forward <gasps> hold on that doesn't sound good let's go on strike as well so they've gone on strike this is the first time they've been on strike in 43 years so yeah. that's a big deal but 
you see some actors. So Harrison Ford in the latest instalment of Raiders of the Lost Ark is Harrison Ford, but they've de-aged him. Yeah, I know. And, and they did that with um, in uh, the, some of the more recent Star Wars movies. They yeah. actually brought in dead cast members and uh, and brought them back to life. Yeah. So when you see that, Peter and, Cushing, I think, and, and Harrison Ford has been okay with it. He said, "Look." That's how I would have looked 35 years ago, so I'm okay with that, even though it's still him doing the acting. So clever technology. But then if you start to de-age Harrison Ford, bring back actors from the dead, there's not much to jump to say, well, why do we need actors at all? They're a bit pretentious and they demand a trailer and they demand a, a croissant Some in the morning. Some are very hard to direct. Yeah, so, that's yeah. right. They won't listen to me. These avatars, they're much easier to direct. We can just tell them what to do. If you don't like it, we tell them to do it again. And we don't have to have lunch breaks, we just get them to work around the clock. So it sounds great from the producers. Well, it's a new age. But here's the irony in all of this. As I started to think about all of this process and thought, yeah, I can see why you'd be a bit concerned being a writer or an actor going on strike. So now the producers of various films and shows are going, what are we going to do? We've got no actors. We've got no writers. Oh, we better turn to AI. <laughs> so the irony here is the fact that they're on strike and yeah. not working might actually propel the technology further forward. So they have to actually use AI to produce their films and their TV shows because they can't get access to actors and writers. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know you'll have any people going through the picket lines being called a scab. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have these avatars. Yeah, that's right. They have <laughs> floating through the picket line. Sit yeah. and scream at them from a, at a screen. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, oh, I honestly don't know goodness. where it's going to go. I just, I, I don't know. I can see the point of the actors and the writers, absolutely. Mm. But I can see producers going, well, the technology is there. Why aren't we going to use this technology? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a scary world. It's been a bit of an AI show today, hasn't it? I haven't it has meant been. that to be the case, but it, it's a hot topic. There are lots of people who talk to me about AI. It seems to be a very hot topic at the moment. Well, we are currently witnessing a revolution in how things are done. Uh, and it, You're right. It's not an evolution. It is a revolution. Yeah. One of the big lessons in junior high school science is all about the law of conservation of energy. Energy can be transferred or transformed in any normal situation, but it cannot be created nor destroyed. That's ignoring, of course, E equals MC squared, just for a little moment. Here lies the frustration of aeronautical engineers because so much of a plane's fuel, or shall I say battery power, is wasted by noisy propellers. Matt, it's time to introduce Whisper Aero and their noiseless ducted fan technology. Now, what year do you think people learn about the conservation of energy? Oh, I reckon it's probably year seven or eight. They're probably about 12, 13-year-olds. Yeah, good, because I often talk about that, and I say, as you know, you can't create or destroy energy. We learned that, and I can't remember when it was at school, but I remember learning that at school. I thought it might have even been HSC physics, for example, mm. and somebody would give me a blank look. But now that you're telling me it's year seven or eight, that's good. That yeah, gives me. Yeah, but how many year seven or eight students are really paying attention? <laughs> that's my question. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> but at least now, at least now, when I talk to someone that's my age, I can say, remember back in year seven or year eight, you learn about the conservation of energy, you can't create it, you can't right, And it comes it. up again and again, kids, again and again and again. But anyway, we'll, we'll just let that lie for a little while. <laughs> Good. And it's even when you see the perpetual motion machines, you see yeah. YouTube clips of perpetual motion, and people, again, that into it. the thing I said at the beginning where people say, hey, this is a great thing you should talk about, I have people occasionally tell me about perpetual motion machines. Hey, you should talk about that. That's mm. the solution. Forget mm. about all this renewable energy. That's the solution. I go, great, yeah. get one of those working and you... You've yeah. got it made, I reckon. <laughs> so what we do need to do, though, you're right, 
all that noise is created by whether it be a jet engine or propellers, obviously that's energy. That's a loss of energy. So you're not propelling the plane forward, for example, if you're creating all this noise. So Whisper Aero is taking an entirely different approach. We pretty much understand that we're going to be flying on electric planes maybe within the next decade, probably for short-haul flights. Flying Sydney to LA, you're probably still going to be flying in some form of jet airplane that's burning some form of oil-based fuel. Mm. But going for those one-hour, those one-and-a-half-hour flights, Sydney to Melbourne, for example, I can see absolutely in the next decade we'll be doing that in some form of an electric plane. But you've got propellers on there. Jet engines seem to give a lot more thrust than propellers. So what are you going to do to solve this problem? Well, you're going to have clever people, like the people who have started Whisper Aero. One guy is a former NASA employee. Another guy is a former Uber Elevator employee. So they've come together to say, how can we work out a way to do electric motors, some sort of propeller that then propels it like a jet engine. And so they've come up with this concept. They're actually going for smaller rather than larger, but more of. So they've gone for smaller, maybe as small as, say, 25 centimetre diameter propellers. Oh, so wow, that's small. That's small. Like size of an A4 page. That's right. Now, that's for they're doing some military drones for a start, and then they're going to scale up from there. But you're talking about nice, small propellers, but then lots of them. So they're talking about some of these military drones might have 10, 15 of these propellers on there to give you the, the power you need. Then they've got a model, for example, for uh, what they're calling a jet plane, but obviously it's not a jet plane because it doesn't have a jet engine, but that type of thing where it's got 11 propellers on each wing. So you just have multiple of these smaller propellers yeah, okay. to give you the thrust you need. But then in the propeller, it is actually a bit like a jet motor because rather than a normal propeller when you get on a propeller-based air- aircraft, a turboprop aircraft, you've got one propeller there. They're actually doing it where they're putting it inside a cow, like a jet engine, because that's important in a jet engine, that whole cow keeping all that energy inside there, and then putting multiple propellers inside the cow. And again, a bit like the fan blades on a jet engine. So you do all that, you're reducing the vortex noise of these propellers inside that cow, you're keeping all that thrust going through there, and they believe they've got a solution for not just planes, but also for leaf blowers. So the same <laughs> technology that they're going right, to use okay. for this. And again, leaf well, blowers not? are noisy. Why not? It's That's just, right. It's a fan. It's an electric fan. Exactly right. But how many different applications are there for electric fans? They're talking about maybe air conditioning units, anything where you need to move air from one point to another, having this completely redesigned process, small, multiple fans in a cow that's the solution they're going with. Now, I did look into this a little bit um, uh, while I was uh, thinking about the story earlier on, and something like 20% of the energy, they're, they're looking at improving the efficiency of this by about 20%. So so that's a significant amount of energy that goes into making sound exactly. in another conventional propeller. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So that is, and they're, they're noisy. You can hear the noise. You can hear the noise in the plane or outside the plane. So there is a lot of noise generated, obviously. But again, if you could reduce that noise Mm. and have all that going into thrust, that sounds like a pretty good thing. So you're right, it's a different way of looking at things. And we have to do that now because if you're going to have an electric motor, you're going to have batteries with this plane, the old propeller that we used to stick on there and just burn fuel. Isn't going to cut it. No, that's right. So different ways of coming up with things. But I do love the... The whole idea that we'll use it wherever you can, in, including leaf blowers. Well, these things also spin super fast as well, from what I gather. Well, that's a really interesting part, isn't it? The, when you start to have high revolution per minute motors in there, you get the tonal frequencies in the ultrasonic range. So even though there might be some noise there, 
we can't hear it. Mm. So even though you might be losing some energy to noise because there is some noise there, then if you can't hear it, does it matter? Mm. Sounds fascinating. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had to also be careful because um, if I don't know if you've ever seen videos at all of people spinning CDs super fast, they actually shatter. So um, you've got to be careful when you start spinning components really, really fast that you can actually just explode them. So the uh, design of the materials that they're using even, is, is there's a whole new thinking that's gone behind that too. Well, a wise man once said to me, material science, that's the future. So <laughs> having those materials, and maybe they've got a fair bit of background in that because jet engine, the fan blades in a jet engine are obviously made of material that can handle withstanding a high speed and a fair bit of, uh, I suppose, things that might go into that jet engine. So they're probably using some of that technology in there as well. But, yeah, again, you've got to look at all these things differently and come up with new designs. And keep your eye on this one, guys. This is going to be really interesting to watch in the future. It's that time of year again, folks. It's been a long wait, but the new emojis are out and likely to dominate the water cooler conversations around the world. Matt, what bombshells have been dropped this year? I left this to last because I do know that you love your emojis. It's exciting. <laughs> and these haven't been finally approved. The final approval process is not till September. It's unlikely they'll change from what we've got at the moment. Right. So they've been out, they're announced, they're saying here they all are, but... Well, I've got a big smiley face and two thumbs up with hands waving. <laughs> good, good, good. So the Unicode Consortium doesn't give their final stamp of approval till September. But we've got some significant changes here, including a number of emojis using zero-width joiners, the good old ZWJ sequences. <laughs> so some of these emojis are now double-up emojis. So right. they've actually used two existing emojis and put them together to create a new emoji. Right. But by using ZWJ, it does sound like it, but they're using ZWJ, so there's nothing between them, so that that is still counted as one emoji. But it did seem like cheating a little bit. But we've also got a lime. I've been wanting a lime. <laughs> Because there are times when I'm thinking a bit of fish with lemon, I don't mind, but yeah. lime every now and again. So when I'm sending my order through, I've got to write the word lime <laughs> rather than a lime emoji, which is pretty frustrating. There's the head shaking vertically. Now, you think that would have been there already, right. but apparently we've got so head like shaking that's horizontally. that's nodding, is it? Or? That's nodding. Yeah. But in some cultures, the head shaking vertically is the opposite. We would think that of as a, as a yes, but in some places that's apparently a no. Oh. Okay. Which is a bit Be confusing. careful about that one, folks. That's right. Don't use that one loosely. Uh, Phoenix bird emojis, you know, rising from mm. the ashes maybe. I'm not sure yeah. exactly. But we've got 108 new emojis. One of the things that's interesting in this is that we're now getting direction-specific emojis. So in the past, you might have had man walking. But now you'll have ah. man walking to the left and man walking to the right. <laughs> and it's interesting because what happens, as we know from our previous in-depth discussions about emojis, is that the Unicode Consortium says, here are the emojis, here's the latest list of emojis. But then it's up to each individual organisation that uses emojis. So, for example, it might be Google, it might be Apple, it might be Microsoft. They can create their own design. Sometimes I come up with some sample designs and some say, here are some examples of what you could use, but you create your own. And interestingly enough, when you look at man walking, then most of the time, most of the companies that have created their emoji list have got them going to the left mm. for whatever reason. It just seemed to be, okay, I'm putting a man walking, man running. It's well, going not enough. You're to the left. You're to head to the other way. Exactly right. Now, mm. it does seem like an interesting problem. Do I, when I'm one of those companies that's going to put that final list out, 
do I just flip the man walking to the left and give that as a man walking to the right? Or do I have a new design for my man walking to the right? Because it seems a bit lazy just to flip it over. So maybe I should have a new design for that. It feels like it could be just the click of a mouse. (laughs) It could be. (laughs) So it is interesting. I do encourage people to go and have a look. Are we losing any emojis? Are they going, right, well, if we're going to have a man walking left and a a man walking right, then uh, maybe we're going to have to lose the smiley face or the thumb up. Well, you do wonder whether we have too many emojis. Please don't take away the smiley face or the thumb up. That's going <laughs> to undo right. a lot of my conversations. And I'm going to create a lot of controversy by saying that, that maybe we have too many emojis. Surely not. <laughs> no, how could you say that? But maybe we do have too many. But at this stage, no. The 108 new emojis they've proposed are adding to our emoji list. Mm. But surely we get to the stage where you do have too many. I wonder if there's some way where they could monitor some sort of global count of emoji usage compiled by all the different companies, so Apple, Google, Samsung, Microsoft, etc., whether they have some way of saying, I need your count for how many of each of the individual emojis that are used. Because we need to clear out some of the clutter. Yeah, the ones that are down the bottom. the Liberian flag is used? (laughs) Well, in Liberia, maybe a lot. (laughs) So, all those people in Liberia, please don't send me complaints. I was just (laughs) going to say that um, it's now getting a bit complicated because if I want to veer off anything uh, that isn't the smiley face and the thumb up, I then know, oh, yeah, I remember seeing an emoji like that. I'm going looking for that, and I've got to spend 20 minutes looking for it. Mm, that's right. So you can't have too many emojis, surely. Well, maybe. Well, you you, can. Sorry, you can have too many emojis. Yeah, I meant to say. I, th- I think so. And again, maybe keyboard shortcut, shortcuts. So you might use some keyboard shortcuts for different emojis, but you've got to run out of how many yep. buttons to control mm-hmm. and shift and mm-hmm. alt, and then this to get one particular mm-hmm. emoji. So it does get complicated. But keep an eye out. Kind of look at those. We've also got a brown mushroom now. Brown mushroom is the first non-animal emoji to be given a specific colour variation. So not just mushroom, but brown mushroom. That's significant. That's significant, James. (laughs) The look in your face, and now listeners can't see the look in your face. I wish I knew my mushrooms better, but um, it's not the shiitake mushroom. It's um, it's just a different colour of mushroom. Different colour of mushroom. The look on your face said, do we really need that? And and for all those emoji lovers out there, James didn't mean it, okay? For those people who've been waiting for the brown mushroom for so long, (laughs) I'm really sorry. (laughs) So it's significant. This is significant, James. This is the biggest story we've done today about the emoji list. Go and check it out. Have a look at those different directional emojis and everything else that's there as well. And so with the battery indicator light flashing urgently at us from the console, I can see that we're going to need uh, to put our humble little podcast back on the charger for another week. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Matt. Thank you. I'm going to go and work on that vacuum cleaner and see if I can get somewhere to gamify that and see what (laughs) we can come up with there. Very good. I'm off to start cataloguing all the family heirlooms stashed in the garage. My wife calls it hoarding, but she'll change her tune when she reads all the stories on my app. I don't want to want my grand, uh, great-grandkids to miss out on the opportunity to be the keepers of a set of rusty old golf clubs given to me for free by a mate called Goose. Uh, or that busted remote control car that I used twice. Or that filthy, dirty cap that I won at the Australian Uni Games. So many heirlooms. Thanks for tuning in to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson once again, folks. I'm James Eddy, and it's my pleasure to host this handy little podcast. And we hope that you'll tune in again next week. And bring along a friend or two for the ride. Wish you a safe and happy week to come. Catch you again next time. 